Let me ask you something. When you look at the color red, what do you see? You know that saying about seeing red? That's actually a bullfighting reference. Picture it. The matador walking into the ring to rapturous applause, wearing the ornate outfit and that awesome hat. And then there's the bull. From his perspective, he's forced into this bizarre stadium where he will soon meet his death while the crowd goes wild. But the bull kind of keeps his composure. Definitely a lot better than I would given the circumstances. At least he keeps it together until the matador pulls out the red cape. At which point, he totally loses his mind. Now, I can't speak for the internal deliberation of bulls, but I can say that there is something about the color red that really sets them off. Actually, Bo, bulls are dichromatic, so the color of the cape doesn't even matter. But point taken. Red has an impact. Of course, it's not all bad. It evokes the holidays. Holly berries, Rudolph, candy canes, cranberries. Then, so much depends upon a red wheelbarrow. At least according to William Carlos Williams. And Bo, you're a theater nerd, right? Yes, I'm proud of it. So you remember the scene in Les Miserables when they're going back and forth about whether they're going to fight? Ah, oui, viva la France. Exactly. So you've got Andralis, the zealot who's totally sold out, and he's trying to inspire the other guys to stick with this hopeless plan to rise up against the French government. So of course he sings... Red, the blood of angry men. Black, the dark of ages past. Red, a world about to dawn. Black, the night that ends at Ah, very inspirational. Yes, but then in walks Marius, the young romantic who's having second thoughts because now he's in love. Red, I feel my soul on fire. Black, my world if she's not there. Red is the color of desire. Black is the color of if you haven't seen Les yet, then let's face it, you're probably not going to. But nonetheless, spoilers, here we go. They decide to fight, and when Andralis gets killed by the Parisian gendarme, he's draped with this huge red flag. Do you hear the people sing, singing the song of angry men? It is the music of the people who will not be slaves again when the beating of your heart so we're talking about a different red flag, but one with its own florid history and symbolism. It's our state's flag, the Mississippi flag. I'm Bo York. I'm Shalise Hall. And this is Red Flag. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably think you know what the Confederate flag looks like, but you're probably wrong. Right. I bet you're thinking about the blue cross and the red background. And it's true. That is a Confederate flag. But there's actually more to the story. The story begins in the early days of the Civil War, in the fog and smoke of the battlefield. One of the key features of the Confederacy was its emphasis on the supremacy of individual states over the lawmaking of centralized national government. Oh yeah, and slavery, and black subjugation, and white supremacy, you know. But we'll get there. 
Don't worry. But to be able to fight a war against industrialized, financially powerful Union Army, it had to rely on the hundreds of states' militias from Texas to Virginia. So confusion was baked into the Confederacy structure. At the same time the Confederates rejected the Union, they also viewed themselves as being the keepers of the original revolutionary spirit. Even though they rebelled against and rejected the United States, they believed they were the real America, probably around the same time when they thought everything was great. But let me stop here, Bo, and ask you this. Have you ever heard of vexillology? Huh. Vexillology. Why does that sound so familiar? Hello. I'm Dr. Sheldon Cooper, and welcome to the premiere episode of Sheldon Cooper Presents Fun with Flags. Over the next 52 weeks, you and I are going to explore the dynamic world of vexillology. Hang on, Dr. C. What's vexillology? Vexillology is the study of flags. Cool. I think I just learned something. Did you have fun doing it? I'll say. Oh, yeah. I know I heard it somewhere. I'm afraid to wonder what Sheldon Cooper would say about the Mississippi flag. (laughs) Um, Yeah, let's just say we really hope we're doing better than fun with flags over here. Yeah, please, God. (laughs) Well, I got to talk with one of America's top vexillologists named Ted Kay. Well, first, we want to get the, the word. It's vexillology. The combination of the word vexillum for flag in Latin and ology for study of in Greek. So vexillology. This guy knows flags. It's a little la-la in there. Vexillology. Ted has been involved in helping a lot of different states, cities, and even countries design and redesign their flags. But he's also studied the specific history of a lot of flags, including Mississippi's. I think it's important to have a little primer on Confederate flags. Would you like me to talk for a few minutes about Confederate flags? Because that underlies what's going on with the Mississippi state flag. Yes, please. Go for it. Here's my short history of Confederate flags. And there are perhaps seven important flags in the history of the Confederacy. The first Confederate flag was arguably the Bonnie Blue flag, a white star on the center of a large blue field. And that was the flag of the Republic of West Florida, which incorporated a lot of the the eventual southern states uh, in the early 1800s. And that flag was brought back as a symbol of the South at secession in 1861. Recall Rhett Butler and, and Scarlett O'Hara's daughter, Bonnie Blue, she was named for that flag actually the first flag to represent the Confederacy. At secession in February of 1861, it was very clear that a new country would need a new flag. And a South Carolina congressman named William Porcher Miles led a committee to select designs for the national flag from a large number that were submitted by the public over the next month. And within a month, William Porcher Miles had a candidate flag for the national flag and a couple backups. The candidate flag that was adopted is known as the Stars and Bars, and that's the first national flag of the Confederacy, which has a blue rectangle, blue square in the upper left-hand corner with a circle of stars in it representing the states in the Confederacy. Initially, there were seven stars in that circle, and three horizontal stripes, red over white over red, because they're so fat, they get called bars. That's the stars and bars. That flag, however, was designed to look very similar to the flag of the Union. 
because the Confederacy claimed many things in common with the Union, including the Constitution and the history of the country. However, at the first Battle of Bull Run, Manassas, that flag was easily confused with the Union flag on the battlefield. And very quickly, the Army said, we don't want to use this flag on the battlefield. It looks like it's the other side's flag. Hold up. Let me get this straight. The Confederates who wanted to leave the United States, but thought they were the real America, went into the battlefield with a flag that they chose because it looked like the Union's flag. So far, so good. That seems like a pretty bad idea. It was very bad. And it was a major problem in battle because the Confederates would end up confusing other Confederate regiments for Union troops and shoot at their own side. The problem with the national flag of the Confederacy looking like the Union flag was ultimately solved in 1863 when the national flag was changed to a solid white banner with the Confederate battle flag in the upper left-hand corner, two-thirds the height of the flag. That was known as the stainless banner, and it was adopted uh, just in time to drape the coffin of Stonewall Jackson. The problem with that flag was it looked too much like a flag of surrender. So in March of 1865, a red bar was added to the end of the field so that it would clearly show that it was not a big white flag flying. Didn't the war end in 1865? Yep, in April to be precise. Okay, so they ditched their flag because it looked too much like the white flag of surrender. Just in time to surrender. You cannot make this stuff up. These flags you're talking about, they aren't the one in the Mississippi flag. Right, the emblem on Mississippi's flag is the battle flag. I love that you put quotations, even though it's an audio podcast. (laughs) The Confederate battle flag was designed by William Porcher Miles who was a South Carolina congressman who was in charge of the Confederate National Flag Committee. And it was his personal design as a proposal for the national flag of the Confederacy. It was not chosen for the first national flag, but in fact had a much bigger role in the history of the Confederacy because it was adopted as the battle flag. It was first used by the Army of Northern Virginia, but eventually it was used by the entire Confederacy as its battle flag. Oh, interesting. So what started as the flag of the Army of Northern Virginia ultimately became the symbol for the entire Confederate army to unite under. There you go. The Confederates replaced their original flag because it was dividing them on the battlefield. They chose a new flag because everyone who saw it knew it signified that we were on the same team. Okay, wait, same team? I mean, there's there's a lot of irony in that, right? Irony and truth. I think it's a good point to remember why the Confederates so willingly united under that flag. It wasn't the design or the arrangement of it. It was the ideas behind the uprising, slavery and white supremacy. As LeVar Burton would say, you don't have to take my word for it. Ask the Confederate leaders. In 1861, after some states officially seceded, but before the war broke out, the Confederate Vice President Alexander Stevens gave a speech in Savannah explaining the differences between the U.S. Constitution and the new CSA Constitution. The old Constitution was based on ideas that he said were, quote, fundamentally wrong. They rested upon the assumption of the equality of races. This was an error. It was a sandy foundation, and the government built upon it fell when the storm came and the wind blew. Our new government is founded upon exactly the opposite idea. Its foundations are laid, its cornerstone rests upon the great truth that the Negro is not equal to the white man. 
slavery's subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. This, our new government, is the first in the history of the world based upon this great physical, philosophical, and moral truth. Well, there's not much subtlety there. No. And Bo, I'm sure you've heard white people say that the Civil War was about states' rights and not about slavery, right? Yes. Unfortunately, it's a very frequent saying. And for the people in the back, that's not true. But again, we can go straight to the source. Yeah, when Mississippi officially declared it was seceding from the Union, it published an official declaration of secession. And they weren't trying to hide anything. Here's what they said. In the momentous step which our state has taken of dissolving its connection with the government of which we so long formed a part, it is but just that we should declare the prominent reasons which have induced our course. Our position is thoroughly identified with the institution of slavery, the greatest material interest of the world. Its labor supplies the product which constitutes by far the largest and most important portions of commerce of the earth. These products are peculiar to the climate verging on the tropical regions, and by an imperious law of nature, none but the black race can bear exposure to the tropical sun. These products have become necessities of the world, and a blow at slavery is a blow at commerce and civilization. That blow has been long aimed at the institution and was at the point of reaching its consummation. There was no choice left us but submission to the mandates of abolition or a dissolution of the Union whose principles had been subverted to work out our ruin. They're not bidding around the bush here, are they? No, not at all. And according to people driving the Confederate rebellion, they wanted to start their own country based on the idea of white supremacy and to maintain the subjugation and enslavement of black women, men, and children. That's what they said about themselves and what they wanted. It's why they were willing to send over 290,000 free white men to die, to kill over 365,000 Union soldiers, not to mention the 50,000 free civilians and 80,000 enslaved civilians who lost their lives in the conflict. They did it because they wanted a government that blatantly rejected the concept that all men are created equal. They wanted one dedicated to the idea that all white men are created equal and that all black, African, and people of color were inherently inferior. And they fought under the same emblem that's on Mississippi's flag today. That same flag. When I was six years old, my family moved from Detroit, Michigan to Rankin County in Brandon, Mississippi. We were one of the few black families in my neighborhood. When I would ride the bus to and from school, I heard kids saying things like, the South will rise again, and... I saw kids wearing the Confederate battle flag on their clothes, on belt buckles, on baseball caps. I saw it at the grocery store, at school. I didn't know exactly what it meant at the time, but I knew for sure it wasn't meant for me. A few years ago, a group of white kids from my school pled guilty to murdering an elderly man, James Craig Anderson, for no reason other than the fact that he had black skin. The things I heard in the bus, like, the South will rise again, makes me ask the question, what South? The Civil War may have settled the question about maintaining the Union and created the opportunity to end slavery as an institution, but the ideas that underpinned the Confederacy and American slavery never really went away. Remember what Alexander Stevens said, that the races were not equal? That idea was not vanquished by the war, and it certainly was never unique to the South. It's just that the Confederacy willingly and explicitly embodied it, which is why the Confederate battle flag, 
the one that's currently on the Mississippi state flag, has been claimed by hate groups throughout the country and beyond. So for those looking to maintain white supremacy in a post-slavery America, where do you think they look to for inspiration? Welcome to Mississippi. Red Flag is produced by Pottery Studios and hosted by Bo York and Shalise Hall. Our music is by Clouds and Crayons, with additional music provided by Lokai and Tiffany. Album art by Tyler Tadlock. This episode was written by H.B. Stewart. Transcriptions by Daisy Stackpole. Special thanks to advising producers Roderick Red and Derek Russell. Be sure to see our show notes for additional credits and links to the stories referenced in this episode. If you want to learn more about how you can support the creation of this podcast, please visit redflagpodcast.com and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at redflagpod. 